Today we are going to read Romans chapter 11 from 25 to 32. Let you be wise in your own conceits. I want you to understand this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob and this will be my confidence with them when I take away their sins. As regards the gospel, they are enemies of God for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Just as you were at one time, disobedience to God, but now, have received mercy because of their disobedience. So they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. Please be seated. We've been studying here in the uh, Book of Romans for almost a year now, um, and studying not only in the Sunday morning service, but in our devotional uh, times and in our uh, Bible memory work and our uh, various mentoring groups. And so, um, praise God for that study. In the last um, couple months, we have focused on these three chapters, chapter 9, 10, and 11 of the uh, book of, of Romans, which has to do with the relationship between the Jews and the Gentiles back at the time of uh, Paul's writing. But jump ahead 2,000 years. God is on the move in the world today. We don't always see that because we live in the United States and it seems like Christianity is going downhill rather than uh, rising up. But around the world, uh, God is on the move. In the last two decades, more Muslims and Jews have become Christians than in a whole century or more before that. As Americans and Europeans are becoming more secular, God has begun to reach the rest of the nations uh, for Christ around the globe. And according to those who uh, do statistics, um, statistics used to be a class that they taught back in the uh, 60s and maybe the early 70s, but I don't think they teach that that much anymore. Um, but statistics are uh, the study of numbers and relationships between people and all. And those who... Um, look at statistics and religion, tell us that with the various branches of Christianity, uh, nearly one-third, 32% of the people in the world identify themselves in some fashion or form as Christian. That's about 2.3 billion people. 
When it comes to Islam, Islam is 22%. That's the second largest religion in the world, which is about 1.5 billion people. And then the third is Hinduism. Um, and uh, that all you need is, is, is India. Uh, and you know that that's a large percentage of uh, the population. It's about 14.5% or 1 billion people. And then you go to uh, the Buddhists, the fourth largest religion, and that's just a little under 500 million people, or about 7%. So the vast majority of the world falls into the category of those four, but Christianity leads by quite a bit. Judaism, on the other hand, is only two-tenths of a percent of the world's population. Somewhere between 14 and 15 million people in the world today are Jews. If every Jew converted to Christianity this year, you would hardly see a blip in terms of the percentage of Christians in the world, total Christians in the world. Not only that, consider the fact that the religion of the Jews today, the vast majority of Jews do not consider themselves religious at all. Of the total Jewish population in the world, 75% or more consider themselves to either be non-religious or somewhat religious. Only between 20 and 25% identify as orthodox or ultra-orthodox within Judaism. In other words, of all the people, the 7 billion people that live in the world, only about 4 to 4.5 million Jews would consider themselves to be Jewish by religion. Think about that. That's a drop in the bucket. That's not many people at all. That's half of the population of New York City. 58% of all the Jews in the United States have intermarried with people of different ethnicities and religions. Of the non-Orthodox, that number jumps to 71%. That is, 71% of the Jews who are not the conservative, or not, I shouldn't use the word conservative because there is a conservative branch of Judaism, but the Orthodox or ultra-Orthodox, 71% of them have married outside of Judaism and uh, being another Jew. So if you, if you think about that, in another two generations, there will be far less Jews in the world than there are today. Approximately 7.5 million Jews, that's half the population of the Jews, live in the United States. Of those, listen to this statistic, 1.7 million identify themselves as Christians. Okay. Now, that's Catholic, that's Protestant, that's evangelical. But 1.7 million uh, so sometimes if you look at the statistics, I don't want to go off too far here, but they'll say there's only 5.8 million Jews in the United States, and that's because they don't count those that are Christians as Jews. But people who are Jewish, who identify themselves as Jewish, 1.7 million identify themselves as Christians. That's one out of every seven. That's 
great news, isn't it? We should be rejoicing in that. Now, I give you all those statistics, not because I'm a statistics man, though I do like statistics, but to put Romans chapter 11 into perspective. There's this huge debate amongst evangelical Christians as to whether there would be a worldwide salvation of Jews at the end of the age or not. But that's really a moot point. When you think of the size of Judaism and the small amount of Jews that there are in the world, and that right now, one out of every seven is already professing to be a believer in Jesus Christ. What is our argument all about? In the United States, 23% of ethnic Jews identify themselves as Christians. God continues to save his remnant now, as he did in the time of Paul when he wrote. Just as God is now saving a remnant of Gentiles, just as he did during the time when Paul wrote this book. The good news is that God is saving Jews and Gentiles today. He is working and has been working for the past 2,000 years to bring Jews and Gentiles to Christ by grace, through faith, because of his eternal mercy. So let's not argue about what's going to happen sometime in the future. Let's continue to do the great work of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ so that that gospel, which is the power of God for salvation, will continue to bring salvation to Jews and Gentiles through the mercy of God. So our theme is not verse 26, all Israel will be saved. The theme from this passage that we're looking at today is verse 32. Verse 32 is the central point of all that Paul has said from verse, or chapter 9 through chapter 11. And so our theme for this passage today is that God has declared all as sinners so that he might show mercy to all equally, whether Jew or Gentile. Now, I'm not sure why, other than that there are a lot of Christians that have my kind of personality, uh, but we sure like to debate a lot. We like to get into our heavy discussions and, and talk about all the, the, the things that are going on and all the questions and issues about our faith as if we are the only people that have come up with these questions throughout all of history. But we aren't. The question concerning the role of Jews and Gentiles in the Christian faith has been going on since the beginning of the church. Paul wrote Romans 11 because the Christians were arguing over what is God doing with the Jews and what is he going to do with the Jews, just as that debate continues to go on today. Part of the problem that has had Christians debating these questions is what Paul calls the mystery of salvation. The mystery of salvation, right? What is it? 
Uh, Paul addressed that in multiple places throughout his letter. He talks about the mystery uh, later on in, in Romans. He talks about it in Ephesians. He talks about it in several other of, of his books. But a mystery from a biblical perspective is something that God had hidden for a period of time and then reveals at the right moment. So the, the mystery that Paul is, is talking about when he talks about the mystery of the gospel is God's plan and purpose of bringing Jesus Christ into the world to bring salvation, not just to the Jews, but to the Jews and to the Gentiles, to the rest of the world. And so when Paul is talking about mystery, he's talking about the gospel going from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, and on to the ends of the earth. And that's what he means in verse 25 of our text when he says, lest you be wise in your own sight. Now he's talking to the Gentiles at this point. Lest you, the Gentiles, to be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. You see, the Gentiles in Rome, and we've talked about this several times so far, the Gentiles in Rome, okay, they make up most of the church in Rome, and now the Jews are coming back in because they've been allowed back in. There was an edict that kicked all Jews out of Rome. Now the Jews are coming back into Rome. And it's like, well, what relationship should the Jews now have with the Gentile church? And, and, and so they're trying to work that out. And that's why Paul addresses it here in the book of Romans in such great detail, where he doesn't cover it so much in most of the rest of the books. It's here because of that particular issue that, uh, that they're dealing with. And so they're having problems figuring out how are they to get along, how are they to work together. And Paul begins to explain the mystery of God's saving plan for saving Jews and Gentiles together. And he does that by beginning with the discussion of the impenitence on the part of Israel. Impenitence means that they were not repentant. They did not um, trust God. They were hard-hearted. And Paul calls it their hardening. The Jewish leaders, in particular, the Sanhedrin, which is the ruling party of the, uh, of the Jews, along with the synagogue leaders in the diaspora, the, the spreading out of the, the Jews throughout uh, the Roman Empire, the Sanhedrin and the synagogue leaders, for the most part, they re rejected Jesus Christ as their Messiah. Okay? And, and not only did they reject him as their Messiah, but they began persecuting uh, the church as well. So Paul describes that in the middle of verse 25 in our text. He says, there's a partial hardening that has come upon Israel, or a hardening in part of Israel, until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. You know, many Jesus, Jewish people had already come to Christ in the first century, right? We, we've mentioned this a few times as well, 3,000 on the day of Pentecost, 5,000 shortly thereafter. And then the, the scripture stops counting and just simply says that it was multi, uh, uh, multiplied, that the, the, that the gospel multiplied the number of those who were being saved. And of course, Paul identifies himself 
as one of those who has been saved at the beginning of, of chapter uh, 11, and others as well, as he talked about the remnant of those that were being saved. And so wherever Paul went, he preached the gospel generally first to the Jews because he would have a hearing at the synagogue. He'd go to the synagogues, he'd preach the gospel, he'd share it there. Some of those uh, people would believe, some Jews would believe, and then he would go out and preach to the Gentiles. Right? And that's where you get the first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. The, the message had come, usually came at that time first to the Jews through the synagogues and then to the Gentiles. And so Jews were believing all around uh, the world, the, the, the Roman world at that time, and that infuriated the Jewish leaders. And we see that in the books of Acts. We see the persecution there. We see Stephen being stoned. We see James, the brother of John, uh, being uh, killed as well, and others being imprisoned. Of course, Paul. We know that uh, he was Saul who went out and persecuted the church. Uh, and so th this was going on. And then as, as, as Paul is converted and, and he begins to go out to preach, there are riots all over the Roman Empire. Wherever Paul goes and the Jews are there, they, they, they create riots. You have riots in Thessalonica and Berea and Corinth and then eventually in Jerusalem, wherever Paul is. They even put a price on Paul's head because of the witness that is happening as Jews are coming to Christ in large numbers. Times haven't changed. Oh, there are generally not riots uh, in, in the sense that, that we see in the scriptures with the Jews, but there's, there are protests. You know, go to a Messianic Jewish congregation and there's a chance that there's going to be some of the, the, Hasid, the Hasidic people that are going to be there uh, that are protesting there. We helped to plant a church back in the 1990s, a Jewish uh, congregation here in Brooklyn. And uh, whenever I would go over and they'd ask me to, to, to preach there, I had to make my way through the, uh, the, the, the protesting um, you know, Hasidic Jews uh, that, that were there. So uh, it's still going on today. This isn't something that's new. In strict Orthodox or Hasidic families, the conversion of a son or daughter to another religion, uh, like Christianity, can mean them being kicked out of the family. Uh, those of you who are familiar with the, uh, the movie or the play uh, or the book, Fiddle on the Roof, right? Uh, you, you get a, a, an idea of what happens when a child, a Jewish child, turns away from the faith uh, to, uh, to someone else or something else. And so we, we see that, that that has been going on for centuries. The impenitence remains today in many of the Jewish leaders uh, around the, uh, the globe, and it's passed on to their congregations. But Paul moves on from there to discuss the inclusion of part of the Gentiles. There's an impenitence, there's a hardening of parts of the Jews, not all of them, by far, there's a, there's a large number in that first century that came to know Christ, uh, but there was a hardening of part of them, particularly the leadership. But now, there's, because of that, there's an inclusion in part of the Gentiles. 
As you read these verses in Romans 11, we need to keep in mind that Paul, while he's talking about the Gentiles, is not saying that all Gentiles are becoming believers. Okay? When, he, when he says the, the Gentiles are, are being grafted in, he's not talking about all the Gentiles. He's talking about those that believe, just as he's talking about the Jews that believe, uh, that are the elect and, and come to trust in Jesus Christ. So not all Gentiles become Christians any more than all Jews rejected Christ at that point. And that continues as we see in verse 25, at the, uh, that last part of verse 25, he says, until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Now if you recall, back in verse 12 of this same chapter, Paul has written about the fullness of the Jews who would be saved throughout time. And now... He's giving the parallel to that. And he's talking about the fullness of the Gentiles who will be saved throughout time. Right? For both the Jews and the Gentiles, God has ordained the salvation of the elect. It's going to be a remnant of the Jews. It's going to be a remnant of the Gentiles. But throughout the ages, at various times, there have been an increase in the number of Jews who were saved at a particular time. Just as... God has done the same thing with the Gentiles. Those of you who uh, grew up, for instance, during the, uh, well, let's see, that might be a small percentage of you, but during the 1960s and the end of the 60s and the early 70s, might have heard of the Jesus movement, where there was a huge number of uh, individuals in the United States that became believers in Jesus Christ. Uh, revival times that have occurred, the First Great Awakening, Second Great Awakening, uh, various uh, times in history where God supernaturally saves more people at a particular moment than what we normally see. And so God has been doing that throughout history. And that's the glorious news of the gospel, that God will save those whom he is going to save. But think about it, if God only saved the Jewish people, that's only two-tenths of a percent of the whole world's population. Heaven would be pretty empty, wouldn't it? God is at work doing a far greater thing. The great news is that God has included the Gentiles. And today, nearly one-third of the world's population calls themselves Christians. Now, those of us who are evangelicals, we would say, well... Not all of those people are truly Christians, and I would agree with that. But the point is that many people in the world have come to a true faith in Jesus Christ. And that number includes about 2 million or a little over 2 million Jews out of 14 to 15 million Jews in the world. But it also includes Jamaicans and the Japanese and the Jordanians, and the people from John Mayan Island, and all the other J's, and A's, and B's, and C's, and D's, and nations of the world. God is at work saving people, bringing them to Jesus Christ. He has been doing it through the centuries and is continuing to do it today. Which, then, I want you to notice shows the mercy of salvation. You see, it's God's mercy that brings us to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. 
His mercy is determined to save people from every nation and every people and every tongue, the scripture says. And that's good news for those of us who aren't Jews. God is at work in the world today. With the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the gospel has spread from Mount Zion out to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. As Acts 1 stated, the witness of the apostles would go from Jerusalem and it would move outward. And by the time it gets to Rome, it has reached the end of the world because all roads lead to Rome. At least at that time, it did. The Roman Empire had roads going into all the nations, whether in Asia or Europe or Africa. God's word is going forth in that first century. And Paul understood that's what the scripture meant when he quoted from Isaiah chapter 40 in verses 26 and 27 of our text. He says, and in this way, all Israel will be saved. That is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He'll banish ungodliness from Jacob, and this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Who is he talking about? He's talking about Jesus Christ, the one who, who sent out the apostles after he raised from the dead. And he sent out the apostles to disciple the nations, beginning first with the Jews and then moving out to the ends of the earth. So notice the irrevocable nature of God's calling. You know, I know it's, it's popular to call the Jews God's people. That phrase comes from the Old Testament. As God interacted with the, uh, the people in Egypt, and he said to them, I will be your God, and you will be my people. As the Jews wandered through the wilderness, they were to be his people, and God was to be their God. In the New Testament, however, when, when we come into the New Testament, that title, uh, my people, okay, or the people of God, is only twice applied to the Jewish people, and both of those are quotes from the Old Testament. But several times, the church, which consisted of Jews and Gentiles, are called the people of God, or called my people. And in the book of Revelations, it addresses the whole of the saved people from all of the nations and all the peoples and all of the tongues who are saved in heaven. Those are the people of God. They are my people. So it's probably best not to call the Jewish people today God's people, especially since the vast majority of them, as we've already seen, are secular and do not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. So how do we handle the relationship of Jewish people with Christians in the world today? Well, Paul explains that in verses 28 and 29. He says, as regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. <clears throat> now, these verses have been used by people today to say that God has elected the Jews for salvation. But Paul is not saying that. 
Uh, consider God's calling and election, for instance, of Pharaoh. God's calling and election of Pharaoh was not so that Pharaoh would be a Christian or a, a Jew or even a believer in God. And if you go on through the rest of the Old Testament, you see others that God elected and called. Cyrus was called the servant of God. He was called and elected by God to carry out a particular ministry, which was that the Jewish people would be able to return from Persia and Babylon back to the land. King Saul is called and elected by God, but Saul was never a believer in, in God. But he was called, elected, and, and David called him the anointed of God. We can go on again through that, but all we have to do is look at the people of Israel coming out of Egypt, several million strong, called by God, my people, and yet only two of them, Joshua and Caleb, got to enter in the land. The rest, the scripture says, died in the wilderness because of their unbelief. God's gift and calling on Israel has been and continues to be the coming of the glorious Savior, Jesus Christ. They were called by God to be the means by which he would bring the blessing of salvation to the world. And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying that Jesus Christ is the deliverer who is to come out of Zion as he describes it in verse 26. Their calling and election provided the grounds for the coming of the Messiah who would become a blessing to all the nations of the world. And the Jews who understand that truth come to a faith in Jesus Christ. And then they share the good news of the gospel so that others might also come to that knowledge of truth and be saved. And that's the incredible nature of this calling. Paul wraps up the discussion of the relationship of the Jews to the Gentiles in one glorious discussion of God's great mercy. We read in verses 30 and 32 this truth about God's mercy. Let's look at it again. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may receive mercy, may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. Three times in these verses, Paul uses the word now. That's important to recognize. Paul is talking about what is going on as he is writing this book. The Gentiles in Rome have received the mercy of God now. Why? Because now, that is at the time that Paul was writing, now the Jewish leaders had hardened their hearts against Christ as a result of that, persecution had moved the church 
out to go to the nations. And so the Gentiles were now receiving the message of the gospel. But even as that message of the gospel was going out now, in Paul's day, to the rest of the world, it also was going out to the Jewish people so that now they could believe on Jesus Christ too. Paul's not talking about future. He's talking about his lifetime, what God was doing in his lifetime. So the Jews and Gentiles, all condemned because of their sins. Chapter 1 through chapter 3, Paul hammered that home for us. They're all condemned. They're all sinners. We're all falling short of the glory of God. Both Jews and Gentiles. But now, in Paul's day, God was showing mercy to both Jews and Gentiles. And he continues to do that today. Oh, we can continue all we want with our discussions about what's going to happen at the end of time. But I have good news. God is saving Jews now. God is saving Gentiles now. And God will continue to save those whom he has elected from Jews and Gentiles now. So let's stop fighting about tomorrow. and Let God deal with that. He's in charge of it. Let's focus on what God is doing now as we share the good news of the gospel. So I have a, a, a question in conclusion. Have you even unintentionally elevated Israel to a status that makes you see Jews as special when it comes to salvation? You see, what am I asking there? If we think that Jewish people somehow have an in with God, we're less likely to share the gospel with them. Well, they're already elect. They're already God's people. But if we see that God has used them to bring forth the Messiah, Jesus Christ, then like Paul, we will go to the Jews and share Christ with them, and we will go to the Gentiles and share Christ with them. And we will do so with this conviction that the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, the Jews and the Gentiles alike. So let's not focus on, oh, they're special, and therefore we don't have to share Christ. No. They are lost. Verse 32, they are lost. Just as anyone else of any other religion, or no religion at all, is lost. And they need the power of the gospel, just like everyone else. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, may we come before you and receive mercy 
for we are a people who are hard-hearted. Those Jewish leaders have nothing on Gentiles. The hearts of the Gentiles are just as hard as the hearts of the Jews. But we thank you that your mercy is more powerful, that it can break a heart of stone and turn it to flesh. And we pray, O oh God, that you would work in your mighty way. Whether it's a two-tenths of a percent of people called Jews, or whether it is the other 99.8% of the people in the world who have some other title, pour out your spirit in power and conviction and bring those who are faithful to you to the foot of the cross, and to the child who was born in Bethlehem, the Savior, who is Christ the Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together.